Um, so the 19th sermon, 6th chapter. Uh, my encouragement this morning as we continue to move through, would you share what you're learning with someone? Would you uh, process God's work through the book of Mark together? We got to do that this past week in our city group and, and just talking through the last couple scenes, what God's been doing in our hearts as followers of Jesus in 2022 as we read these stories, what uh, God's leading us to do. So I encourage you to do that this morning. If you have questions, like if something is still confusing, like ask someone. Don't be afraid of that. Um, so I encourage that. If you'll stand with me, uh, the Bible says in Mark 4 9, we're going to read the word. If you'll stand with me as we read the, read the word of God that, this morning. It says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's what Mark 4 9 says. So let's hear what God has in Mark 6, uh, 12 through 16 as we start this passage. It says, so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. King Herod heard it, heard of it. For Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miracles, powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. God, I pray that you would be with us this morning as we stand at the reading of your word, as we enter this scene. God, I'm excited to see at the very beginning of this scene that Jesus' name continues to be made known. Now a ruler in Israel has heard the name of Jesus, and even today as we stand, the name of Jesus continues throughout history to move forward, to change lives, and that's the same question we're asking today, is who is Jesus? How, how do we follow him? So we thank you for what you're going to teach us this morning through this um, somber scene. In your name, amen. All right, you may be seated. Uh, if I were to pull the room on some of our favorite words and feelings, I don't know that everybody would raise their hand and say rejection. I love rejection. <laughs> no, I think, I think we all would say, uh, can I get some acceptance? Um, we don't love the idea of rejection, the theme of rejection. We don't like feeling that. But if we look at what we've been learning the last couple of weeks, we are in uh, the beginning of chapter six, really a theme of rejection. Uh, we saw that with Jesus being rejected by his hometown, by those that um, he grew up with. They, they didn't want to hear what he had to say. We saw that with the disciples. He's preparing them, as Drew preached last week, sending out the twelve, sending them out to be messengers of Jesus, to carry out his ministry, to call people to repentance, to heal the sick, to call out demons. And he prepares them. He says, there's going to be some who don't want to receive what you have to say. There's going to be some who will turn you away. And this scene today takes that idea to a whole nother level. It furthers this idea of rejection. So we have to remember that Mark chapter 6, um, really 1 through 12, is the first half of what we call a Markham sandwich. <laughs> Drew's explained it to where um, Mark will start a story. He will insert a whole nother story in the middle of that, and then he'll close the story. And you, you're, the, the goal is that we understand, man, why did Mark put this story inside like a sandwich uh, in the middle of this for us to, to understand? And so that's, 
that's the aim this morning. And to be honest, when we bite into the middle of this sandwich, it's, it's gonna, we're kind of like, ooh, that's a little, little gross. What's going on here? It's kind of shocking at first. But man, there, there's some nuggets in here that I think God has for us. Uh, and it, it was a reminder of me that, uh, for me this week that sometimes it's okay to admit that the Bible can be hard to read. That, that sometimes we read a story and we don't initially know what to do with it. And initially, it's, it's tough to hear. But as we lean into the Holy Spirit, as we ask God to reveal what he has, um, everything in God's word is there for us to know about him, for us to, to understand a truth about him. So that's what today, ha- this scene is going to beg us to compare and contrast some things. Uh, so my three points, if you just want to know where we're headed from the beginning, uh, point number one is sin will destroy you. Point number two, the world will oppose you. Point number three, King Jesus died for you. Uh, so let's read the rest of this story. Uh, and this is where it gets interesting. Mark chapter 6, verse 17, we're going to read through 30. It says, for it was Herod. Um, so Herod, uh, just at the end of what we just read, is... Um, reflecting back so the word of jesus has gotten out and people are starting to question who is jesus and some are saying oh he's like a prophet he's like uh the prophets of old and and some are saying he is like elijah he's returned he's he's elijah he's back elijah never died he's he's now returned and some are saying he's john the baptist risen from the dead and herod's like that's that's John the Baptist. That's the one that I beheaded. That's the one that I killed. And he has this flashback moment. And so he's reflecting, and Mark gives us insight into, okay, what happened? How did John die? And so this is what we read. It says, For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee, For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste, to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Crazy scene. 
We see Herod just completely take the life of someone else because of his own sin. We see Herod is strangely like admiring John the Baptist, but at the same time perplexed and frustrated at John the Baptist calling him out for his sin. We see Herodias, Herod's wife, who he has divorced his first wife so that he could be with her. It's his brother's wife. So that is against God's law. And now he has, um, at a birthday party, um, his niece and his stepdaughter dancing in front of them, pleasing the crowd. They're, they're drunk at this party, and, and it says that uh, he kind of just pridefully says, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. I mean, talk about just, just like crazy, gross scene, sin just fully fleshed out. I think what we're called to, to see here is, is just this comparison between several figures here. I mean, first we see uh, that out of the two scenes in the whole book of Mark that don't have Jesus specifically mentioned, it's talking about John the Baptist. So the first scene was John the Baptist in Mark 1, talking about him preparing the way for Jesus and his ministry. And now this is the second scene where John the Baptist is beheaded, and really what we're going to see is he prepares the way for the death of Christ. But we also can compare and contrast what we see here is the life of John the Baptist in Herod. I mean, compare that with me. We, we see Herod is a wealthy and powerful ruler, but John is poor and humble. We see a gorgeously robed ruler, and then we also see a camel-haired a man out of the, the wilderness. Herod was wicked, but John was righteous. A man who could be bought and a prophet without a price. We see Herod was, was cowardly, and John was courageous and bold. A king with a troubled conscience, shame, fear, and guilt, and John with a clear conscience. One man of the flesh and the other a man of the spirit. John was imprisoned behind bars, but Herod was imprisoned in his sin. At first glance, we, we think, man, Herod has it all as a ruler, but really we see that he's tortured and in pain because of his sin, and, and actually John is the one who's secure and safe and at peace and rich. What I want us to, to think about is really the, the example, and, and though it's hard to read, we see this, the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of man, the kingdom of self, where we take ourselves when we just fully set out for our own way. So one, point number one, sin will destroy you. I love, the other gospels don't give us the insight that, that Mark does. We have to ask, why does he do that? He gives us the insight of like Herod's situation, of his heart, of his wrestling, and the other is more through the, the lens of John the Baptist. And, and where I've come this week is that even though it's an ugly, gross like raw, saddening scene, it gives us a real picture of our sin. Like fully realize, if we were just to fully give into our passion, it, it shows us what it looks like to, to just be in the kingdom of, of self. And I think in Christianity, we, also, we often don't talk enough about just the danger of sin. The wrath of God 
against our sin and separation from Him, the punishment that we deserve. You see, sin is breaking God's law. It's, it's our rebellion against His ways. It's what separates us between His holiness and our fallenness. Knowing what is right and not doing it. Knowing what is wrong and moving forward with it. You see, Herod... Um, was full of lust, as we see in this scene. He, he wanted his brother's wife, and he did everything to have her. We see Herod is, uh, Herodias, his wife, it actually says in one of the translations, she's nursing a grudge. We see someone who is just fully devoted to her bitterness and to someone calling her out. And so we see her just, just totally sold to anything she can do to kill John you read the story and the details are like, whoa. But friends, we just, we don't hate our sin enough. We don't see it for how ugly and how poisonous it can be in our hearts. We, 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 want, the, we want the scenes of Jesus calming the storm, of Jesus walking on the water, of Jesus feeding the 5,000. But, but can we leave out the, the scene about Herod and, and his sin and John being, being beheaded? And so what I'm trying to get at, I think what I'm saying is, is Scripture needs us to see the depths of our sin. It needs us to face our humanity and our separation from God. It is the bad news that allows us to behold the good news of Jesus. We've got to sit in this story because it's a reminder that we too are like Herod. That we too face the same tragedy that he did without Christ that if we're all on us apart from the grace of Christ, we are surrendered to the kingdom of ourselves. And we'll do whatever it takes. We might think we're subtle about it. It's a tragedy and it drives us to destruction. We've got to see that. A few observations just from this scene is the tension that sin can bring to a conscience. I mean, did you read that in verse 20? It says, for Herod feared John knowing that he was righteous. So the ruler is fearing John, a humble prophet out of the wilderness, <laughs> because he knew he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe when he heard him, and he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. Man, he is at war in a heart. So worse than anything we've mentioned so far is that Herod has heard the kingdom message, the, the, the call to repentance, and he did not repent. He's been invited into that. John doesn't hold back from telling someone on the street, someone poor, someone, a friend of his, to the highest ruler. He doesn't hold back saying, we all need to repent of our sin. We all need to come to this Jesus that I'm laying the way for. Can you see his conflict in his heart? He didn't like to be called out, but he also like was hearing it. And he's hearing the message and it was working. And it was causing him to start to fear the consequences. Have you been there? Have we been there when, when we hear God's word, speak into a moment of our lives, call us to repentance, but we're conflicted and frozen in what we want to continue to do in our own sin? The moment where we were just fighting it on the inside. Nobody else knows, but we are just fighting what God's calling us to be in obedience. And we're really saying, is this worth giving up? Oh, how many people can delay repentance and obedience to God. I'm guilty of it myself. God has to work and work and work on our hard hearts. Friends, 
don't delay the work of the gospel in your heart. The call of Jesus to repentance, to, to die to sin. See, another thing I want to emphasize is sin is so downplayed. We downplay it. We desensitize ourselves to it. We distance ourselves from the reality that it brings. It's gripping our hearts, the shame we feel, the bondage that we're in. It's kind of like uh, me and Drew were talking this past week. It's kind of like, uh, man, I love hamburgers. I had a hamburger last night. And we just don't think about what it took for our hamburger to get on our plate. Uh, we forget that we are looking at death on our plate. We forget that it took a death of an animal. I'm not trying to guilt us this morning. Like, I'm still eating hamburgers. But we've moved far past that. We jump right in to, to the delicious hamburger, but, but the death that's on our plate is a reality. And, and can we, in the same way, think about the way that we look at the sin in our life, the thing that we are giving ourselves to over and over again, we just don't look at it that it's death, that it's destroying us. We've, we've, we've played games in our mind that it's something that we have under control. Like, I can manage this lust. I only watch porn every now and then. This is the last time I'll need to lie about this, and we'll get things under control. Once I have enough money, I'll get myself right. I'll make my priorities where they need to be. You see, we underestimate the pride of our hearts and what's going on in our soul. What we see with Herod is the lust of a moment and an ounce of bitterness grows. And Satan is, is actively, I mean actively, it says he is like a lion seeking whom he can devour. He's actively working against us and he'll, he'll take all the time he can to let sin continue in our hearts. See, Romans 3.23 tells us and informs us like Herod, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are all guilty of our trespasses towards God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Lastly, I want to point out here that um, sin will take you further than you ever thought. Sin will take you further than you ever thought. I promise you, Herod could not have imagined where his lust would take him. It's like I went from zero to 60 real quick. From adultery to divorce to murder. It actually says that a war happened because of his divorce to his first wife. I learned that in history. It says, I mean, from zero to 60, he's at a, at a drunken party, surrounded by fools, nobles, leading men, military leaders. He's driven by pride in this moment. His arrogance is just, he's trying to please the room. He has a fear of man over God. His stepdaughter and his niece does a sexual dance in front of them. And Herod likes it so much that he gives an oath to reward her for whatever she wants. By the way, when it says, I'll give you up to half my kingdom, that's more of just like an idiom. It doesn't actually mean he was going to give his whole kingdom to her or half of it. But it is saying, like, make a request and I'm going to, I'm going to make it happen. And Herodias is lurking in the background, waiting to pounce on the demand, uh, in demand jo uh, John's head, and Herod, he surrenders to the moment. He okays the murder for killing an innocent man. In 26, it says, And the king was exceedingly sorry. Exceedingly sorry. Not just sorry, but he was moved 
by where his sin had taken him. But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word. Ask again, have, have you been in that moment? That moment where you realize where sin's taken you and you're just looking at the mess in front of you and you're like, wow. In a quick moment, he's looking at John the Baptist's head on a platter, really the only person trying to remedy the problem of Herod's heart. He's looking at a crowd of people around him who don't care about him. Last thought on sin will destroy you is that, that sin will not only destroy you, but it will destroy those around you. It doesn't just impact ourselves. It's not just isolated when we think we're managing it. Here's the good news. Like, we can't overcome sin on our own, but we can be set free from it because of Christ. This whole story is pointing to what Christ is going to do. God can raise you from your spiritual death to spiritual life. This doesn't have to be our end. We don't have to have an end like Herod does. He can remedy the problem of our hearts, and the only thing that can change us from the inside out is this gospel. Before we move on to point two, can I just ask, like, what is that sin that you woke up this morning even anticipating that you're going to commit against God, you've been wrestling with, that God might be calling you to, to trust him to defeat, trust him to surrender to him? What's leaving you isolated and trapped and fearing men more than obeying God this morning? And can I call you friends to, to bring that to him? To not continue in the bondage that sin brings, but be free in Christ. Point number two, I'll move quickly here. It says the world will oppose you. Uh, when we do place our faith in Jesus and when we are following him, which is what this whole passage is pointing the disciples to, is, is that they would embrace the cost of discipleship of following Jesus. It's when we read this, it's like the moment in a movie where the the hero, one of the hero dies and you're like, that was way too quick. I wasn't expecting that. Are you serious? Like he's gone? John the Baptist? The the, the one who in a, in the womb, like when Jesus was present, he's in the womb, he leaped. Like John the Baptist who Jesus says is the greatest of all men. And women, like John the Baptist who would baptize Jesus in the waters of the Jordan before he would enter into his ministry. Like he didn't, John the Baptist didn't get to witness Jesus going to the cross and defeating death and rising again. But man, he laid a foundation for it. But it's shocking and it, it hurts to see that this was his end, dead, head on a platter, alone in a jail cell at the hands of a pathetic and cowardly ruler. He died at a drunken birthday party at a, of a wannabe king. But man, he gained so much more than temporary and earthly things and success. He was part of the grandest story that we still talk about this morning. You see, the issue that was happening in the scene is they did not like to be called out. 
They didn't want to hear about the sin of adultery that they had committed. Herodias despised John for it. John was telling them exactly what they needed to hear. He was speaking truth in love, and it drove them crazy. Notice this with me. Read this with me. Um, If we jump to verse 25, you see, we've been talking about words that stand out as we read Scripture. And one of those words is the word immediately in the book of Mark. And the word immediately, so many times so far in the book of Mark, has ushered us into these beautiful moments of Jesus healing or Jesus, like, showing compassion on someone. And sadly, the word immediately in this scene ushers in the committing of sin and bitterness and murder that Herodias and Herod happened to to do here. So it says in verse 25, And she came in, and, and say that word out loud with me, immediately, with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And read it out loud with me. Immediately, the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. Talk about hostility and opposition and hatred. It's felt in the scene, and it still happens today. People are ready persecute those that stand for Jesus. Satan is actively working against. If we zoom out here, the closing of our sandwich. So we've got Jesus sending out the apostles and they are uh, healing people and they're proclaiming the message of Jesus to people um, and and they are moving forward even when people reject them. And you want to just kind of close the book and be like, good job guys, way to go. And you get this, this insert here from Mark what we're zooming out and what he wants us to see is that those that follow Christ will face opposition. That discipleship can be costly, but it is worth it. That as Jesus sends out the twelve, they face rejection. As John faces death at the hand of this ruler, so too can followers of Jesus expect to face opposition to their faith. Mark would, in Mark 8, 34, Jesus would go on to say, in calling the crowd to him with disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words and this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This will be a, past, uh, a set of verses to go back and read this morning, later this week, and, and just sit in. Just hear the words of Jesus calling us to be all in. Preparing the disciples to know that the path of following him would lead to death in order to find life. Death, yes, to our own ways, pursuits, and surrender to his, and also physical death. That Stephen, in the book of Acts, would become the first martyr after John the Baptist, but there would be many more. That the the recipients of this book, the book of Mark, was to a persecuted group of people in Rome. That the 12 disciples that were sent out would go on that, that most of them would give their lives 
at the hand of persecution and torture. That in our, our world today, people lose their life every day for their faith in Christ. Places like North Korea, and Yemen, and China, and many more. Hostile situations. I can show you emails from, from a friend that I grew up with who is in closed places in the world, proclaiming the name of Jesus in secret places, and God is on the move. People are surrendering to follow him, even though it costs them everything. I just want to, uh, for me, growing up, one of the most shaping stories for me was that of, of Jim Elliott and four other missionaries who would die at the hand of the Aka Indians trying to, to bring the message of Jesus to them. Go and read about that. Because what God does is, even in their death, Eventually, the message of the gospel saturates that community and brings life and salvation to them. Their death was not in void. Please pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. Pray for one another. Jim Elliott says this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Philippians 3, 8 through 11 says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. This is Paul, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. So if you haven't gotten already, hear these words. We too will face resistance to the gospel message. The best thing anyone ever told me was that I was a sinner and that I needed Jesus. The best thing. I'm so glad that they were willing to do that. And opposition comes in many ways. Hatred, exclusion, maybe even just a funny look, ridiculed, misunderstood. 1 John 3.13 says, don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hate, will hate you. It doesn't mean we need to shrink in fear. But that God has a way of softening hearts and making um, truth come out in difficult places that we aren't called to a life of trying to blend in. The upside-down kingdom will look absolutely different, absolutely different than our world. And that's what everyone needs to see. We can't believe in, like, what I believe is that, like, our world, like, our, our current culture in America is, is increasingly um, post-Christian. That what we believe is countercultural, And we need to be prepared for that, to secure ourselves in Christ daily. The cost of sin is death. The cost of discipleship is abundant life. I hope this is encouraging for you to hear. I know it's tough to hear, but I hope it's encouraging to hear that following Jesus can be difficult, that it's tough, but it's so worth it. Let me end on this last point. I'll try to hurry here. It says, uh, my, my last point is King Jesus died for you. Mark 6, 27 through 29 says, He went 
and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Those words, laid it in a tomb, should be familiar to us. That's what we see exact wording in Mark chapter 15. The end of the book where Jesus goes to the cross. He gives his life. You see, John is, is a, 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 a forerunner of Jesus' death. And, and those words um, are, are spot on. It says in Mark chapter 15, And we learn from the centurion that he was dead. He granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph, this is Joseph of Arimathea, he bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb. Jesus, our Savior, that had been cut out of the rock. See, Jesus too, just like John, would be killed, though he was innocent. Jesus too, it was killed at the hands of a cowardly leader named Pilate. But Jesus' death, it was long and it was drawn out and it was torturous, it was painful. Best of all, Jesus would not stay dead. He would defeat death in the grave three days later. Jesus is the better king. Let's compare just for a moment as we close Jesus and Herod. Herod actually sees Jesus before his death in Luke 23, 8 through 12. And sadly, we see the state of his heart is still in the same place. It says, when Herod saw Jesus... He was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him and was hoping to see some sign done by him. He wanted a sign. He wanted to see Jesus do some tricks. So he questioned him at, at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing him, and Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothes, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. For before this, they had been at enmity with each other. Crazy scene that, that Pilate and Herod, they actually like unite in their ridicule, in their confusion around who Jesus truly is. Uh, another thing I want to, just so we can really get the richness of this scene, Mark in our, our, our verses here, he gives the title king to Herod like five times. And the, the weird thing about that is, is he actually didn't deserve or have that title. It's sarcasm. Like Herod Antipasus, the one in this passage, he's the son of King Herod the Great, who had several sons. Um, they actually divided the kingdom into to force. And so he's a tetrarch, but he's not a king. And he hated that. He actually drove himself to try to have that title. It actually says that he went to Rome years later and asked that they would give him that sovereign title of king, and they kicked him out to the island of Gaul. And so pridefully, he longed for this like title that he didn't deserve. But Mark puts that title here in this passage, and you're like, why? But I can't help to think, but the next time we see the title king is in Mark 15. And, and it's when the people of Israel give Jesus a mocking title of, of Jesus, King of the Jews. But that's the correct title given to a true king. You see, Herod, hear me on this. 
Herod killed to protect what was his. King Jesus died to give us all that he has. Herod killed to protect what was his, but King Jesus died to give us all that he has. Herod's ruling would end with his people kicking him out, but Jesus defeats death and goes on to rule for all eternity. Herod makes others pay for his sin, and Jesus pays for ours. King Jesus will rescue you. Where sin leads to death, death with Christ will lead to life. Please hear me. Jesus is the king who lays down his life so that we might live. And the truth here for us today, if, you, if you've never received Jesus, if you've never placed your faith in, in Jesus, who is the true king to follow, that's the invitation that you would do that. The invitation for those that have placed faith in Jesus is that Christ does not call us to something that he hasn't faced himself. That his invitation to find our life in him, but also to face death, is something he displays for us. And the truth that we walk forward with is that even in death, we are victorious. That life in, in Jesus is better than a death in sin. Christ doesn't just save us from the bondage of sin, but he forgives us of the judgment we deserve. He secures us for all eternity. He makes a way for us that says he secures us forever and nothing can separate us from his love. Death cannot silence a life of those that are in him. Lastly, John lost his head, but Herod lost his soul. I'm going to end with 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 58. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. Sin will destroy you. And the power of sin is the law, but thanks to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Hear that this morning, brothers and sisters, friends. Christ is our hope in life and death. Hope, if you could come up and um, band, come, come up and, and play just here for a moment. I want to enter a time of, of prayer. And this last song is incredibly reflective of, of what we've just, just seen in the scene. Just to remind us... Um, as we prayerfully just consider what God has shown us in this passage, that, that sin will destroy you. That if, if there's a place that, that we need to confess before a brother or a sister, if we need to confess, obviously, before God, may you take that step. Don't let it continue to be something that you think you have control over, that it's not affecting your heart. Surrender to God. May, may we kill the sin in our hearts through Christ. And secondly... It's a somber realization that the world will oppose us. Maybe we're living with one foot out and one foot in because we fear man. We fear the thoughts of others. We fear what people think. But God's calling us to take a step with that, that coworker. God's calling us to 
live out our faith more than we are? Can we embrace the comfort of our Savior and know that he's with us? And lastly, (laughs) Christ died for you. I'd love nothing more than if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, if you've never understood that what Jesus did at the cross was for you, that he paid for the penalty of our sin, that he calls us, just confess with your mouth. Believe in your hearts that Jesus raised from the dead. He gives you life. Believe in him and uh, you can be saved. We'd love to talk to you about that, but I encourage you to take that step. Uh, Just a moment of of reflection and prayer and we're going to sing this last song, Yet Not I, But Christ.